welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. And as Pastor Weiler drew our attention, you know how over time, reading through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, in how uh, there was abundance shared with impoverished churches and um, through the gospel of Luke and, and Christ's call to uh, take care of those brothers and sisters who, uh, who have nothing, it, uh, it, it has been revealed to our hearts about an opportunity I don't want to call it a duty, but an opportunity. And uh, as we pursue that, what that looks like, we'll ask for God's wisdom. But uh, also, that uh, as God shows us things in His Word, we need not fear following. When it's been clarified by His Spirit, the truth of all, we don't have to fear following those courses, uh, even if it takes some sacrifice. Uh, it, it is, is, it's good. It's for His good pleasure. We are at... Luke chapter 21, I'm also going to mention too that Crystal was able to share with me a number of things that she just didn't have time to share. We know there's a hospital over there that SIM has in Niger that uh, treats both believers and unbelievers. She said there's an orphanage there that is Christian and everything that Sim always does, uh, as she said, it is gospel-centered. It isn't we're just do-gooders out there. We're doing good, but it is in the name of Christ and for the proclamation uh, of the gospel and the expansion of Christ's church. As we look at Luke chapter 21, I've kind of already stacked the deck against you folks this morning. I'm going to acknowledge that right away. By giving this message the title, The Perseverance of Jews. All right, Uh, Some might accuse me of attempting a little bit of mind control here of giving the answer before I've shown the evidence. Uh, newspapers do that all the time. They'll display a bold headline, and uh, knowing that most will never read further in to find out if there is actually truth contained within. Uh, but we should all be all cautious of that. How, however, I think in this situation, that drawing your attention to my conclusion first before we read this passage will be helpful. This is kind of an obscure Uh, statement by Christ. Our passage today continues an extended discourse that he is giving on the Mount of Olives. We we refer to it as the Olivet Discourse. He's given it to his disciples. If you recall a few weeks back, I had a title that was messaged, The Perseverance of Saints. At that time, I assured us that truly born-again believers, uh, those Christians who know the Lord truly will persevere through trials and through tribulations. That was part of this uh, reassurance that Christ gives. As recent as verse 17 in this chapter, Jesus prepared his disciples that some of them would be put to death. And, And he said, you will be hated by all because of my name. And then he said, yet not a, a single hair of yours will, will perish. Uh, therefore, he is saying, you will not eternally perish. He had already told them that some will die for the gospel's sake, but some, uh, some will actually have to die. In Acts 14, 
We see Peter, or excuse me, Paul, after being beaten by the Jews outside of a, a city there named Lystra. He, he was left for dead. That uh, uh, later he and Barnabas came back and marched back into that city again. And it says, as they returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, they encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Talk about an understatement, right? Uh, so the experience for some Christians is going to be very tough uh, through this lifetime. And, and when we look at Luke 21, beginning in verse 24, we see that Jerusalem is going to be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Uh, we have learned that, that this is the desolation of Jerusalem being described at first. Uh, it will initiate a period of time referred to as the times of the Gentiles. Uh, that phrase now, don't let that confuse you, the times of the Gentiles it itself doesn't refer to the proliferation of Gentiles within the church, though that occurs. The times of the Gentiles refers to the dominion over Jerusalem by unbelieving Gentile nations during the period of the church age. In 70 AD, Jerusalem, we've, we've already looked to this in previous Sundays, it was left destroyed. It was left desolate as millions of Jews were slaughtered by Roman army, armies. Those few who survived that event uh, they were led captive. They were dispersed among the nations. It's referred to as the diaspora. The Jews were dispersed around the world into many nations. Ethnic Jews. They had, really as with Assyria and Babylon, they had been vomited out of their land again due to disobedience. And, and, and Jesus said in Luke 19 verse 44, this is because they did not recognize the day of visitation. They, they did not recognize Christ the Messiah had come. So 70 AD begins these days of vengeance, Jesus calls them, against the Jews. Now, Jews without a homeland, without Jerusalem, without their state, uh, and Jesus' prophecy of God's vengeance against them, add to that that Matthew 28 tells us there is a great commission to go into all the world, uh, sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, all of these together, making disciples of the nations, could easily lead Christians to mistakenly conclude that now the Jews are finished. Perhaps they're done. Uh, throughout history, you know, ethnicities without a homeland, ethnicities, people groups that do not have a homeland of their own. They simply don't survive. They are, they're, they're assimilated into the surrounding cultures. And, and, and they just kind of disappear over time. Add to this that there have been, throughout the centuries, repeated efforts again and again to exterminate the Jewish race. That has happened multiple times, not just by Hitler in World War II. There have been many attempts to extinguish the Jewish race. Yet, astonishingly, astonishingly, uh, the Jewish, Jewish ethnicity against all, all uh, odds has persevered throughout time. There are a couple 
options as far as interpreting the passage that we have before us today, Luke 21, beginning of verse 29. I believe the best in context is the miraculous perseverance of the Jews. Um, We've learned in previous parables that the fig tree is symbolic of Israel in the Old Testament. One approach to this passage suggests that although in previous uh, references by Jesus, the fig tree signified Israel, the fig tree, it is said here in this parable, does not. You know, I, I don't know how commentators can conclude that, to be honest with you. You, be, you better remain consistent, okay? If the fig tree represented Israel in chapter 13 in the, the parable of the vineyard, and it also represented Israel when Jesus cursed that tree, and and it withered on the day of his triumphal entry. The fig tree remains symbolic of Israel here. You follow me? You can't be inconsistent on that. Also in verse 32 of this same passage, the word generation, it has a flag note there in your Bibles, a, a notation that if you follow it, It says generation can also be translated race, as in ethnicity. So I'm going to use the word race when I I read it for us. Uh, Why? Because doing so will lend credence to my view. Again, mind control. Okay, Let's read it together, beginning in verse 29. Then Jesus told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this race will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. It'll help us to know that in all three Gospels where this parable arises, where it appears, it falls directly after Jesus' promise to return with with power and great glory. It's immediately after He announces His return. And the entire context of of this whole chapter, Luke chapter 21, begs the question, when? Right? When is it going to happen? have been studying this for some weeks now, and the answer we have determined is, took us several weeks to get this, nobody knows. Nobody knows exactly when. We're slow learners. So we've been on this for several weeks. The key to unlocking this parable is discerning what things. What are the things that we shall anticipate to see that will ensure us that the kingdom of God is near? What is the antecedent of these things? In in verse 31, what's that pointing to? We have to discover that. What are these things? And I'll, I'll say plural. It is things that when they occur, they ensure to us that the kingdom of God is near. I'm going to tell you right away, there is considerable disagreement on this. 
One view suggests that these things refers back to the cataclysmic signs in the sun, moon, and stars uh, which occur on the day of the Lord. We studied that last week. We learned that Peter says on the day Christ's return, the old heavens and the old earth are destroyed. They're melted down with intense heat, making way for new heavens and a new earth. Maybe these are the things. Well, that, that makes some sense in light of verse 33, which draws our attention back to events on that day. It says, heaven and earth will pass away. On the day of the Lord, they quite literally will. And Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. In that view, the generation that will not pass away until all things take place are those who witness this unraveling of the universe in that day. The sun, moon, and stars, and, and, the, and the seas roaring like we studied last week as, as the world, is, the creation is thrown into tumult. Sadly, that isn't much of a prediction by Jesus. That, that this generation that is alive to see the heaven and earth pass away will by no means disappear until all things are fulfilled. You know, I, I just don't buy that. It isn't a long enough period of time to, to make sense of anything. I, I sent that one straight to the trash heap. A second, a second and much more popular view a view that many of us have embraced, or at least embraced at one time or another, suggests that these things refers to those who are alive to see the fig tree put forth its leaves. Uh, this view is first really popularized by Hal Lindsey in his book, The Late Great Planet Earth. All right? declares that the national rebirth of Israel is these things. Now, condemn me as a literalist, but I think that if the rebirth of Israel was the antecedent, Jesus would have said, when you see this thing take place, rebirth of Israel, then now know that the kingdom of God is near. But rather we see it in the plural, these things. Due to the enigma contained in this passage, it's really kind of unclear. I would be willing to overlook that plural tense of a pronoun if I were living, well, 50 years ago. All right? 1970 when that book was written. You follow me? We, we may have even bought Lindsay's book at that time. Enough people did. In fact, over 35 million people bought that book. It sold millions of copies, and when converted to a television series, it drew over 17 million viewers. As Hal Lindsey unequivocally declared, these things refers to the rebirth of Israel back in 1948. The book, written in 1970, stated it is well known in the Bible that a generation in the Old Testament... It, it spanned 40 years. Therefore, we are assured that this generation refers to the 40-year period 
after the fig tree, national Israel, the state of Israel, sprouted leaves, okay? So we can be confident, confident, according to Lindsay, he predicted, that Christ will return by December 31st, 1988. Forty years. Well, um, there have been a lot of predictions, folks. A lot of people seeking signs. A lot that have expired. Uh, this is not rare. In fact, you look at the 70s and 80s. Many of you were around. That, that, those were the decades of the prophecy conference. You probably heard of them. You probably attended one of them. Kind of dri- dri- uh, dribbled into the 90s a little bit. But the prophecy conference. And uh, they were so common. Everybody there was seeing the end of times uh, in, in signs that were going on in Israel and the world. And, and today, pretty much, uh, those are credible theologians. Don't really throw those a lot anymore. Uh, in the 70s, it seemed pretty reasonable. In the 80s, it was somewhat reasonable. In fact, it was so reasonable, according to those folks, that at that, at that time, we, and we learned this in eschatology class, Pastor Weiler and myself, both at Dallas Seminary, at that time, back in that day, in one of his books, the president of Dallas Seminary set a, a time for the rapture, all right? I think the book was called The Rapture Question. I don't remember. I didn't read it. It wasn't on required reading list, all right? But what they said is, be careful, because the time, what he did, he didn't set an exact date, but because of what was going on, rebirth of Israel, other things, he, he set a, a terminal point, the latest that it could possibly occur, Unfortunately, it occurred. The date. Not the return of Christ. We didn't miss that. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about that next week. So, What I learned in eschatology class wasn't a lot. But one thing was, be really, really careful. Some people have looked really funny over time. In fact, as we're drawn back next week, we're going to, we're going to finish this uh, eschatology lesson from Jesus on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. And that'll be our last point where he says, make sure that this doesn't sneak upon you the day of the Lord again, the second coming, like a snare. That it traps you, that it catches you. Uh, all this imagery of a thief and all these other things. And uh, two weeks ago I made the mistake of quoting another just wonderful professor at Dallas Seminary, Tom Constable, who talked about... Um, when the, the great apostasy might take place. And I, and I cited that he said the, the great apostasy, the, the revealing of the man of lawlessness, and uh, the, the removal of the restraint that we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that he had said those are future events. And um, I made that mistake that day. The following Sunday, which was last Sunday, a fellow came up to me afterwards. And he was kind of pressing me on it on Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and how that relates. Next Sunday we're going to find out. Next Sunday we're going to find out. Uh, we're going to talk about the, this, this last part of Jesus' lesson on the Mount of Olives. Read through that before we come. Uh, we're going to touch on that briefly, but we're going to look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2 because it's been pro- proposed out there. There's a lot of signs. There's the man of lawlessness, and he's a son of perdition, and uh, this restraint being removed, and all these other things that people say has to happen before Christ can return.
Again, putting limits on things. We're going to look at that passage close. I, I think you want to be here. I want to know how it ends. I, I don't know. In fact, I'm thinking about giving a name to the man of lawlessness. I am going to cite a day. So be prepared. A day. That's it. That's all I will say. Well, for Lindsay, it has been 72 years now. That generation has long passed. Another book that we see becomes, that decrypting book becomes fodder for the waste bin. Uh, You know that from the verse last week, it says, in the last days, mockers will come in their mocking. We saw that in Second Peter 3. Mockers will come in their mocking, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Well, one writer for the National Endowment for the Humanities in review of Hal's, Hal Lindsey's book comments that now, this is since, now every three years, Hal Lindsey writes a new book denoting how the world will end in five years, Each subsequent book explains how he wasn't wrong in the previous book, and the world will really end now in five years. This is why I say we just have to be really careful about this stuff. Got to be really careful because it it really makes unbelievers kind of mock us. They'll come and they're mocking. Yeah, another failed prediction. As Hal's book should have inspired people to read what Jesus actually says in Luke chapter 21, people should have at least at that time noticed what verse 8 says, where Jesus is quoted as saying, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. Don't buy the book. Don't buy the book. And if people had actually listened to what Jesus said, Hal Lindsey, still alive, 90 years old, Hal Lindsey would not be a rich man today if people would have listened to Jesus. Just would not have sold the books. There, there are other interpretations out there. I don't have time to go through all the remaining except to give you mine. All right? Mind control. This is, this is the one. Um, I believe the fig tree represents the Jewish race. I already said that. The reference to all the trees, that's found only in Luke, not in Matthew or Mark. I think simply that is meant to reinforce how a natural course of of seeing trees blossom, all the trees blossom, assures that summer is near. I think that's all that means. The race emphasized in verse 32, the one that will not pass away, refers to the phenomenon of, of divine preservation of the Jews that has been observed now for almost 2,000 years. Jesus said Jerusalem will be destroyed, the Jews will be dispersed among the nations throughout a period known as the times of the Gentiles, but that the race will not pass away till all of these things take place. That race, that Jewish race. That's if I'm correct. That's what I gather. What then are all these things that we talked about that must first take place? I would suggest it is the same answer as all the things that must take place before heaven and earth pass away. That's what's compared here. It refers to the entire chapter of Luke. 
Luke chapter 21. The Jewish race will not pass away. It will be preserved until everything Jesus says in this discourse is accomplished. In this interpretation, the Jewish race will persevere to see the coming day of the Lord. All right? They will not uh, be snuffed out. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. Peter says the same thing. In fact, same Greek. Pass away. It will cease. It will go away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's the emphasis here. My words will not. And the perseverance of the Jews throughout this period called the times of the Gentiles becomes further evidence, according to Jesus. Further evidence that my words are true, And my imminent return is on the horizon. Just the fact that this race has survived every effort to take it down. While they haven't had a homeland, Jesus is reminding us here, that ought to tell you something. The Jews are left to you as a reminder. And the fact that they've returned to their homeland, that ought to tell us something, folks. Summer is near. That's what it's telling us. And we are to recognize that God's word is true. The kingdom of God is near. How near? Near. Someone, I forget, I've talked to so many people. Someone said beforehand, well, it was Tim Gunner. He goes, well, I know it's nearer this week than it was last week. (laughs) It is. It's near. And it is astonishing that the Jews are back in their homeland. I don't read uh, a whole lot more into this this passage than that. They are a reminder now that the kingdom of God is near. It's a remarkable thing they're back in the land. It reminds us that heaven and earth will soon pass away. That's what else is in this passage. Just, Just, we don't know when. Nobody knows when, but it's near, folks. It's near. We need to be prepared for it. And next week we're going to talk about those final things as Jesus wraps up this lesson in eschatology. I have really, and he's not going to go deep into eschatology for the rest of the chapter of Luke, excuse me, the rest of the book of Luke, but I, I have really been strengthened through this all of it discourse. When I was going into it, I was kind of uncertain, you know, how, how it was going to play on my heart. I am really strengthened that Christ is coming. There is no mistaking what he's saying here. We don't want to be deceived. Another thing that we're going to look at next week, because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, don't be deceived. Those Thessalonians had been deceived. That's why Paul writes to them next week, next week. Let's keep going. Uh, There's just one more thing that that I want to bring about, uh, talk about before we depart. Passages such as these are used sometimes by uh, extreme Zionism, those who are really on the, on the extreme bent of Zionism in the Jewish state. Uh, they're used to propose that the Jewish race retains now a unique path of redemption apart from faith in Christ. You might have heard that on television. It gets spread around quite a bit. Folks, that is a heretical view. That is heresy. That's, that's damning. 
And it's nowhere found in this passage that they got some separate path of redemption other than through the blood of Christ. While the Bible suggests all Israel will be saved, we know Paul also says in Romans 9 that it's not all Israel who are actually of Israel and descendants of Abraham. So they'll go to, oh, all Israel's going to be saved. And it's just, well, the Jewish race from the beginning, they're all saved. You can't square that with Scripture. You can't. That's extreme Zionism. Folks, genetics don't save. The genes you have don't save. There is only one path of redemption for the Jews, and it is the same path of redemption for Gentiles. The same path. Our scripture reading from Ephesians chapter 2 earlier. It called upon us to remember, Gentiles, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were previously separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one. Does Jewish ethnicity maintain a unique and separate path of redemption? No. No. Paul continues in describing how this this enmity between us and God is removed. It is by Christ abolishing in his flesh that enmity, which is the law of the commandments or contained in the ordinances, so that he himself, Christ, might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both Jew and Gentile in one body to God through the cross. By it, Paul says, the cross, having put to death the enmity. That is the enmity between God and man. It is put to death through the cross. Um, Citing a prophecy then from Isaiah 57 verse 19, Paul next declares this is prophetic fulfillment from Isaiah And he, referring to Christ, the Messiah, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Remember that for next week. A holy temple in the Lord. We, it says, in whom you are being built together, again, Jew and Gentile, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Folks, the, the perseverance of Jews, their, their survival, their return to the land, miraculous, miraculous. It's a reminder to all Christians, all Christians, both Jew and Gentile Christians, 
that Jesus promised to return and establish his kingdom on earth, that promise stands and it is near. It is near. The survival of the Jewish race has not served as a separate path of Jewish redemption. Follow me? Um, it, it's, that's a pretty prevalent view out there. Is the reason I address it so directly. And, and you just look at Ephesians chapter 2. Boy, there's no, there's no way of mistaking what Paul is saying again and again and again. Jews are saved the identical way we are. This is how, if you're wondering, first by acknowledging that we are sinful creatures. We sin against God. We rebel against God. We trust that the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, Christ, lived a holy, sinless life. He was crucified and he died for our sins on the cross. And we, both, Jew and Gentile, are by the Holy Spirit baptized into one body, Christ's church. We are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That, that, that place refers to the temple of God, the body of Christ. You go to chapter 6. Uh, um, I was reminded this week that, uh, by Chuck that that then speaks to the individual body. So you've got to look at Scripture in context to see which one is speaking about which. Which temple is it? Um, Christ's church is one body. We profess our faith in Christ Jesus through water baptism. A couple more notes. An apostle, Peter, who was a Jew, declared this to Jews in Acts 4, verse 12. There is salvation uh, in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What did Peter tell the Jews on the day of Pentecost? Repent, each and every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, folks, listen today. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. And so then, those who received his word were baptized, and on that day were added about 3,000 souls. Be baptized. Christ is the only path of redemption for sins. Another Jew named Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Uh, Do you belong to Christ? Have you trusted, have you believed in this, that Christ is our Savior? Have you placed your trust in Him for salvation? Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? If not, you need to be. If you believe in Christ and you have not been baptized, you need to be. Scripture teaches we are all to publicly profess our faith in Him through water baptism. We have two people who have requested to be water baptized. That's the reason I bring that up. And that will occur on July 19th. Sunday, July 19th. Uh, if I'm not coercing anyone, but if you feel you need to be baptized, come and talk to Pastor Weiler and myself. And uh, we'd just like to hear why you want to be baptized. And uh, oh, one other thing, it's summertime. 
It's warm out. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually get in. If you want to be baptized in cold weather, Pastor Wiley is your man. Let myself and Pastor Weiler know. Let's pray. Gracious Father, oh Lord, you're so wonderful and good to us. And uh, we, we simply marvel at, uh, at your power. Lord, what you tell us in Scripture, you do. And, and you're so, you are so um, consistent in what you say and do, Lord. Help us to... Uh, Continue to see as you reveal yourself to us what you would have us do as you're redeemed. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for having the Rendles here today, especially Crystal. And uh, what an encouragement it is to see Christians out there uh, reaching out with the gospel to non-Christians and then reaching out to other Christians with, uh, with sustenance, with those, those things that they need for their body. Lord, bless our day. Bless the fathers amongst us who've been an influence in our lives. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.